Welcome, true believers, to the first episode of Knives, a Marvel podcast, your one-stop shop for underrated characters and stories. Now, um, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about a character that's quite rated, uh, Spider-Man, and where to start specifically. So, uh, the current sort of comic book market is hard to jump into, isn't it? There's a lot of stories, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot to understand, you know, it's very intimidating. So today we're going to take a look at, uh, three different Spider-Man comics, all of them potential spots where one might consider jumping on, and, um, I'm gonna suggest which one is the best, which one is sort of an intermediate, uh, and which one is the absolute worst place to jump on Spider-Man. That's that's where we are today. First, we're going to talk about you know Brand New Day, um, or specifically, Free Comic Book Day 2007 Spider-Man, and what this comic is is an introduction to the Brand New Day status quo, the status quo that we're technically in right now. And um, so essentially, uh, there were some retcons. There you know there were some things shuffled around. There was a, a story called One More Day. Uh, which was the sort of predecessor to this tale. And uh, none of that matters, because this is the status quo, and this is what we're talking about. <laughs> um, it's not important to know any of the material that happened before, as long as you know Spider-Man's uh, you know, origin story, and everybody does, let's be honest. It's one of the most famous stories in modern mythology. Uh, it's like, you know, Superman. Dying world, rocket ship, sent to Earth, you know, uh, old people. Kindly, kindly old people. And um, so that's pretty much all you need to know coming into this book. Uh, you know, it starts off with a, a really good description of, you know, all of the important players and aspects of Peter Parker's life as of right now. And, um, and there's beautiful art throughout this whole book. This particular uh, piece of art is drawn by J.R.J.R., John Romita Jr., um, who had worked on the Spider-Man comic before this before this uh, brand new day era, and um, he worked alongside JMS, who is fairly controversial, but I think most people like at least a little bit. Um, he did some work on Superman, he's done some work on Spider-Man, he's been all over the place. Generally, I'm on board with the guy, but um, whenever, you know, the sort of comic folks, the editors, the uh, higher-ups interfere with the story, it really ruins it. So the story itself starts off with Peter Parker walking out of a, a bakery in Soho with a lemon cake because as he states, it's Aunt May's birthday today. And um, so what he does here is he gives us a little opportunity to sort of catch up with the lore. He gives us a rundown of everything that's important, everything that you need to know to sort of, um, you know, start reading from this point forward. And he's saying that um, after the Superhero Res Registration Act, and that sort of thing. Most heroes have either registered or gone in the hiding, and he's one of the latter um, in this continuity. So he's walking down the street, and uh, Spider-Man hasn't appeared in a while. He hasn't had to fight any villains. There's no, there's been no real major crime that hasn't been dealt with by Shield or registered superhero. You know, they've been very efficient with what they're doing. And so what occurs here is uh, a car begins to race down the street like manically and people are jumping out of the way they're screaming uh this this lunatic is is racing down the street and he's being pursued by police officers who we'll learn a bit about uh in this story now without giving the whole story away um this is the first appearance of a character known as overdrive and what this character is is he's a character uh who can <laughs> manipulate automobiles 
he can soup them up and that's his power uh, which is absolutely ridiculous but it's kind of a lot of fun um, I should also mention that I believe this is Dan Slott's first work on the Amazing Spider-Man book. Get excited though, folks, because not only is this the first appearance of Overdrive, but this is also the first appearance of a Scarlet Finn Fatel known as Jackpot. And um, she, she's, uh, she's red-haired, you know, she's sassy, she says, face it, tiger, and we're led to believe as a result of these things that she might be Mary Jane Watson. Who is to say? So we're left with the mystery, which is another classic bit of Spider-Man. Mystery of the Green Goblin, the mystery of the Hobgoblin, the mystery of a lot of goblins, really. But I think this issue is really good at delivering the basic Spider-Man format, getting the readers used to what the Amazing Spider-Man is, in essence. And while I may not agree with some of the, the decisions behind this book, I may not agree with with the current situation of the book, relatively speaking, and I may not agree with uh, the uh, creative team of the book as a whole, I think this is a pretty good installment in, uh, in the Amazing Spider-Man lineup of books. If you want to pick up a copy of this book, you can find it in Brand New Day, uh, Volume 1, as well as Brand New Day, The Complete Collection, Book 1, and you can get those off Amazon or in stock trades or anywhere you want. This is 11 years old, uh, so if you want to start here, my reading recommendations would be the first volume of Brand New Day. You can read the whole thing if you want, but you only need the first volume of Brand New Day. Craven's First Hunt, uh, which is a great story. Daredevil's in it. Spider-Man's in it. Some good Spider-Man fun. Some, uh, some really solid storytelling. And after that, you can jump into uh, Big Time, which is what's going to really prepare you for the current status quo. You know, Peter Parker's finally pursuing science full-time. He's, uh, he's working at Horizon Labs. It's really the uh, basis, in, in part, for the current, the current current status quo of The Amazing Spider-Man. And after that, you can read Superior Spider-Man before heading right into the current... Uh, amazing Spider-Man book. You can skip the intermediate bit between the Superior Spider-Man storyline and the current worldwide storyline. Now that might sound like a lot of material, but uh, it's really, really hard to get into current Spider-Man if you want to be well informed on everything that's going on, the happenings, as it were. So if if you start here, that's what I'd recommend doing. The next book we're looking at that uh, one might consider jumping on Spider-Man with is The Amazing Spider-Man number one from 2015. This is the first issue of the current status quo of The Amazing Spider-Man, which might seem like a good spot to jump on with, but we're really, really not given that much background. We don't know how things came to be, how they are. Uh, we really are not told very much at all. It simply starts off with Peter Parker doing a commercial for something called webware, which is apparently like this big, important thing all of a sudden in the Marvel Universe that everybody has, and... Um, He's doing this in the uh, the Parker Industries Tower in <laughs> in Shanghai, China. Now, um, you might be thinking to yourself, what the hell is a Parker Tower? Well, apparently there's like 30 of them. And the reason why this is is because Peter Parker's become like a big shot Tony Stark type industrialist, inventor, scientist fella. Which makes sense for the character, you know, obviously he has a super genius intellect. But nonetheless, we're not given any real background for this. There is no real way 
to 100% prepare yourself for jumping on board here. Everybody who started reading this as it came out, myself included, were left in the dark for quite some time about how any of this came to pass. But if you want some background as to what Parker Industries is, Peter Parker's career as a scientist, stuff like that, then you're going to want to start with Brand New Day and then move into Big Time and that sort of thing. So he's teamed up with Mockingbird here, and they're chasing down um, Leo, who is a member of the Zodiac gang, who's a big integral part of this current run of Spider-Man, at least for the first uh, 20 or so issues. So if you're savvy, you might know that Peter Parker and the Human Torch de devised a spider buggy in the 70s. And so this is a, uh, a brand new version of that, essentially. And it's capable of uh, driving on walls and on the bottoms of things and stuff like that. It's also capable of splitting up into like a giant mechanized spider and that sort of thing, which is quite cool. Not that having a, a car really makes a ton of sense for a character like Spider-Man. We learn that he's gotten lessons in both Mandarin and driving, like super race driving and stuff like that. You know, he's a big icon now, it seems. And so as Spider-Man passes by, as he's pursuing Leo in the Zodiac, Zodiac gang, um, people are cheering him, you know, people are recording him. People are like, yeah, Spider-Man, go Spidey, you know, in their native tongue. Uh, it's important to note that everything's translated from Mandarin. Spider-Man's got everything under control for once. You know, usually Spider-Man's a jump in first, you know, try to do as much as he can, and oftentimes that doesn't work out too well for him. But this, this Spider-Man, he's thought out everything he's doing, you know, he's got the whole situation on lock. He jumps on the vehicle he's pursuing, this weird lion car thing. He shoots, like, little metal, like Z-metal uh, webs, and they cling to the car and the uh, passengers and things like that. And what happens here is apparently Z-Metal is highly conductive uh, because Peter Parker um, shocks the vehicle and the passengers. I, I mean, the passengers are bad guys, but I would still suggest that maybe that's not Peter Parker's thing, electrocuting people like that. Seems a little brutal for his um his usual tactics, his usual MO. Yeah, that's what he does. And then he traps everybody in place with expanding foam webbing, um, which he claims is a new invention. But if you're familiar with Spider-Man lore intimately, like Dan Slott is, but for some reason doesn't remember this, um, Peter Parker's had expanding foam webbing since the beginning of his career, basically. Expanding foam webbing is always something Parker's had. If you read The Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 1 from, like, 1964, they go through all of Peter Parker's gadgets and abilities and stuff, and expanding foam webbing is one of the listed uh, gadgets slash abilities. But anyway, that's that's a little bit of a grudge I had as a, as a spider nerd with this book. Overall, it doesn't take away too much, unless you know that. Peter Parker cracks a joke here that's not quite his, his thing either. He says um, to Leo, who's like a lion person, that uh, Craven's nipples called and they want their face back, which is pretty funny, I guess. It's not really a Spider-Man joke, I don't think. It, it doesn't seem like something Peter Parker would say. I, I guess it serves to show how different this Peter Parker is. So once he catches the bad guys, he, um, he begins to sort of interrogate them, ask them for questions and that sort of thing. And Leo bites down on one of his tooth, one of his teeth, sorry, and um, it, it starts to poison him. 
but for some reason Peter Parker's like got this little device in the back of his web shooter and he shoots it and it clings to uh, Leo's neck and administers an antidote uh, and that cures him of his toxins and he said that this has happened before and he's tired of people uh killing themselves when he's trying to interrogate them and stuff which is that again seems a little bit cold for Peter Parker usually doesn't act that way or say something like that but yeah we go to Parker Industries Shanghai where we meet the crew uh which really isn't important to be honest but Peter Parker is preparing for a meeting and it's introducing something called the Uncle Ben Foundation and what the Uncle Ben Foundation is is it's um a sort of means of of charity from Parker Industries. So as he states, he's um he's like a poor man's Tony Stark in that he's <laughs> capped his his salary at a mid-management level. So he's really not making all that much all things considered. He's put dumping all his money into Spider-Man into helping others and that sort of thing. So Peter Parker personally isn't making very much money for for a CEO. But uh, anyway, the Uncle Ben Foundation focuses on going around the world and helping the less fortunate building communities, building infrastructure, that sort of thing. A lot of jump cuts in this book and uh, one such jump cut is to San Francisco and we see in San Francisco Hobie Brown Hobie Brown, the Prowler, is acting as Spider-Man. The reason behind this is is because people know that Tony Stark is Iron Man, and the sort of the sort of cover here is that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are closely related, in that Spider-Man is acting as the mascot and personal bodyguard of uh, Parker Industries and Peter Parker, which is really flimsy in the Marvel universe because Tony Stark did the same thing with Iron Man, and so. He's, he's got Hobie Brown as a, as a sort of, in a way, a life model decoy, a double, uh, a distraction, as it were, from him. And so he sent him a week in advance to San Francisco. So that serves to imply that this is at least a week after the events of the previous panel, which is a bit odd, but it, it's not too distracting. But we go to the wedding of Max, and Max is... If you've read the big time Spider-Man stuff, the CEO, owner, founder, that sort of thing of Horizon Laboratories, which is what Peter Parker worked at for several years as the uh, as a head scientist for that, the sort of uh, young star of that company. He's he's being married to his uh, his partner Hector. Unfortunately, some wedding crashers appear in the form of the Zodiac crew, and uh, this time it's a bunch of fish-themed Zodiacs, and they've emerged from the water in these, like, flying manta things, and they're here to um, obtain information. They're here to obtain the webware from Peter Parker's wrist, because apparently his webware has specific information that they need for some reason. And we won't learn exactly what that information is until later on in the series. But Hobie Brown appears to defend the wedding while Peter Parker's there. Because all eyes are on him, you know. It's not like he can run away and change into Spider-Man or anything like that. So Spider-Man appears in the same space as Peter Parker here. Which is great for the sort of facade of Peter Parker being different than Spider-Man. Hobie Brown gets his, uh, his butt whooped, though, unfortunately, and so Peter Parker is forced to quickly encode the information on his webware, and, uh, sorry, encrypt the information on his webware, and give it to the, the Zodiac crew. He's, he's forced to surrender his device here. He gets a little bit of, of 
shade, I, I suppose, as the youngins say, thrown at him for this act. But we receive another jump cut, another harsh jump cut after a short conversation to Parker Industries London, where um, we see Anna Maria Maconi, who again, you'll have no idea who she is if, uh, if you haven't read Superior Spider-Man. And she's with a character called The Living Brain, which you'll have no idea about unless you've read 60 Spider-Man or Superior Spider-Man. And you see that Dr. Otto Octavius has somehow uploaded his consciousness into the living brain, which again, you'll have no context for if you haven't read Superior Spider-Man. And that's where the issue ends. <laughs> there are several backups, but they're not really relevant to anything. They're just like Miles Morales and Silk and that sort of thing hanging out and doing their thing. Yeah, not a great jumping on point, I'll be honest. So if you've been keeping track so far, you'll, you'll probably guess where that book will fall on the, uh, the list of jumping on points. So if you want to find that issue, it's reprinted in The Amazing Spider-Man Worldwide Volume 1. Spectacular Spider-Man number 1 is the next entry on this list. The cover art is pretty good. I, I like it quite a bit. It's done by Adam Kubert. And it's, uh, it's an image of Peter Parker pulling open his white button-down shirt uh, to reveal Spider-Man logo behind it, his Spider-Man costume, and he's got a mustard stain on his shirt. And I feel like that's a pretty good representation of Spider-Man, of Peter Parker specifically, the sort of clumsy uh, absent-mindedness of, of a guy trying to juggle two lives. And the book starts out with a very quick six-panel explanation of Spider-Man's origin, which everybody knows, it's not really necessary, but um, if that's your sort of thing, it's there. We, uh, we cut to the Human Torch, asking him why he keeps telling his origin to him a zillion times, to which Peter Parker replies, it's an integral part of my character, it helps inform the story, um, which I think is, is pretty funny. But overall, the jokes in this book pretty well fall flat. Um, Chip Zdarsky is not the funniest guy in the world. <laughs> to be honest. He says he'll meet Peter Parker at 7.30 at his house after a short conversation about all the cool tech Peter Parker's been building for himself. And he, uh, he stops a robbery here of this lady with like bleached hair and pink dye in her bangs. And uh, they start making jokes with each other. And she explains that she's a comedian and um, Ant-Man shows up to help sort of deal with the situation because he had a web shooter malfunction with the expanding foam or what have you. And she asks him out on a date, this, this lady called Rebecca London. So that's the introduction of her character. This is the first time we ever see her in a Marvel comic or anything like that. But the important thing to note here is that Spider-Man finds a phone. And it's an old Stark phone, but it's encrypted. Uh, and it's running a weird OS foreign to the, the phone. Which is interesting because these Stark phones are supposed to be super hard to hack. Like, impossible, essentially. And so Peter Parker and Ant-Man head off to this guy called Mason. And the Mason is a guy who builds tech for superheroes. He fixes things up and he's supposed to be like a really good engineer and that sort of thing. So they head into his penthouse. They see Falcon there or Captain America there. And he's, uh, he's got his wings fixed up. He's flying around. He's sort of demonstrating to the audience, I suppose that the mason is really really good at what he does and this is where all the superheroes come except for spider-man because nobody told him about him 
But Ant-Man's got a problem with this helmet where he can't grow back the full size. He grows to like midget sized. And so the Mason takes his helmet and over the course of five panels fixes it. Showing again how good he is at what he does. But I think that's pretty absurd that he does it so quickly. You know, whatever, comic books. You know, it's storytelling. You can't just have him sitting there for three hours. He takes a look at Spider-Man's web shooters as well. And he uh, he's like, oh wow, these spinnerets are genius. And... You know, I found the problem with your um, expanding foam. You see, the, the chemical compound you used in this particular cartridge uh, degrades the metal of the actual cartridge itself. So instead of being super pressurized, it's leaky. Um, so he fixes that up for him, and he shoots the, the web, and it works perfectly. With that problem out of the way, they discover that the other hacked Stark phones are hidden too well to find, except for one, which is in Chicago. So Peter Parker heads off to the airport and flies to Chicago, and he um, he forgets all about his sort of date, as it were, uh, with the Human Torch, who's standing outside his apartment alone, um, waiting for Parker, who forgot about their uh, their movie-watching agreement again. So Peter Parker arrives in Chicago, finds the house of who he uh, suspects to have hacked the Stark phone, and he's blasted in the chest by a very irresponsible Riri Williams, who immediately jumps into fight for some reason. Riri Williams is just the worst character ever. Just just the worst, okay? She has no character. She's handed everything. She says yay me all the time. She doesn't actually do anything. When she does do something, she's she does bad things and then she's rewarded for them. But she immediately attacks Spider-Man, a very prominent superhero, somebody that she's very familiar with, um, at least as, as, a, as a person who exists in the Marvel Universe and a member of the superhero community, like a maniac. She's a maniac! When Peter Parker shows up at your door, you know, as Spider-Man, and you're another superhero, you don't attack him, you have a conversation with him, you ask him what's going on. Riri Williams is a character created by Brian Michael Bendis as well, of all people. Brian Michael Bendis has demonstrated himself to be an absolutely terrific writer uh, in many instances, especially at Marvel. And he's created uh, Miles Morales, who I also happen to, uh, to love, in addition to Peter Parker, um, at, at the very least in the Ultimate Universe. He hasn't done too much uh, of note in the 616 continuity. He seems more like a redundancy than anything. You ask me, there's too many people uh, with the spider title running around in one universe. It's like uh, Maximum Clonage, if you uh, remember that storyline. But anyway, enough ranting. So we jump cut to the Human Torch standing, still waiting outside Peter Parker's apartment. It's been, uh, it's been hours at this point, and um, he's still waiting outside. So we see uh, a lady walk up. She introduces herself, and uh, the Human Torch essentially asks her on a date because um, she, he perceives her to be an attractive female. And she introduces herself as Peter Parker's sister. And it's like, wait, what? And it acts as though it's a twist. But anybody who's read Spider-Man up to this point knows who this character is. Her name is Teresa, and she's from the storyline Spider-Man Family Business, which is an original graphic novel taking place in the Marvel Universe. If you haven't read that, you have no context for this. I mean, the, the, the next two issues of this book heavily rely on you having read that family business um, story. But, like, 
most people haven't. It's an original graphic novel. It doesn't have the Amazing Spider-Man number or anything like that. It's just a thing that exists out there, and it's not terribly widely available either. So overall, I wouldn't super recommend this for a jumping on point. It doesn't really explain a whole lot. It doesn't even make very much mention to Parker Industries or the current status quo, which is good if you want to jump on, but if you start reading past that, you're going to run into several problems where you just don't understand any of the references and stuff like that. So um, as far as this book goes for a jumping on point, it's, it's not the worst you could do, but it's also not very good at all if you want a firm understanding of the current status quo. So let's rank the books now, shall we? At number one for best jumping on points out of the three is definitely Free Comic Book Day 2007, Brand New Day. And the reason why this is is because it, it shows you uh, the current situation. It's the very start of the status quo. It's, it's very friendly for new readers. It shows you the Spider-Man formula. It introduces new villains. You don't have to know anything about any of the characters to understand what's going on. Nothing like that. No redundancies, nothing. So I would rank that as number one. Number two is Spectacular Spider-Man, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man. The reason why this is is because it's not The Amazing Spider-Man number one, which is, of course, a terrible, terrible jumping-on point. Not only is it a terrible jumping-on point for new readers, it was a terrible start for readers who were familiar with the, the continuity. It's not like it's a bad book or anything. It's not poorly written or anything like that. It's just really obnoxious because it throws you in eight months after we've seen Peter Parker uh, last. So there's between the uh, the last Amazing Spider-Man book and the Amazing Spider-Man number one from the current series, there's eight months. There's a big gap that we just don't know anything about and it slowly reveals little pieces of that over time. But even that, it's, it's, it's too long a burn, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's a bit thrown together, if you ask me. But yeah, that's my opinion on those things. Um, I hope this has helped. It's been Spider-Man 101, <laughs> if you like. Um, I'd like to make a formal apology to the poor Apple employee who's had to listen to this podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know it's your job, but uh, I'm sorry. This is my first time. Uh, I imagine there's not a terribly high degree professionalism present here. I hope that won't deter you, potential loyal listeners, from coming back next week, where we will go over something I haven't decided yet. If you want to suggest what we go over next week, let me know uh, by dropping me a line. Um, my email will be in the description for business inquiries or recommendations, stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. This has, been, um, this has been a good time, I hope, certainly for you. Uh, it's been a good time for me. I've enjoyed this. I'll, uh, I'll see you same spider time, same spider channel. <laughs> Bye.